This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You are listening to Fresh Tracks Weekly. Just know that there's also a video portion to this podcast, uh, so you can check that out on Randy Newberg Hunter YouTube channel. They will be posted there every week. We are in our new studio. It's the same studio, but we have a new backdrop. So that's fun. We're going to continue to change it up. Uh, we have this uh, mobile wall so we can mount stuff to it. Yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep uh, changing it up, try to make it look cooler. But for right now, we got this new look. This week for me, I went out and did a little shed hunting. This is the first time I haven't been skiing or ice fishing in a while. So looking for antlers with my wife, Kara, and our friends, Logan and Rachel. And uh, of course, never fails. Logan found way more than anyone else. But Kara did find the shed of the trip. It was a pretty cool uh, brown elk horn. It was missing a third, which was interesting, but super nice bull regardless. Also kind of hilarious, we randomly ran into Jace out there. Neither one of us knew that we were going to be in the area uh, on a hike nonetheless. We were just out hiking in the middle of nowhere, ran into Jace. So weird. Small world. Apparently like-minded. They also found a few nice sheds, so that's great. This also brings up one of those examples where I wonder... Was the fact that we were out there looking for sheds harmful for the wildlife? Probably wasn't good, but I start to make all these rationalizations in my head that, you know, there's good forage out there, there hasn't been snow for a long time, the wildlife should be in better condition, but it is still that critical time of year. I don't know. I battle with this in my head all the time. It kind of brings up that whole point of, if there's going to have to be regulations, I hate to have to regulate stuff, but it's like maybe I'm my own worst enemy. I don't know. I like to think that it wasn't harming wildlife, but hard to tell. Hard to tell. Anyway, moving on. The rest of the crew, Matthew was out in Oregon going razor clamming. This is super cool. I never have done this. I'd like to go do it, but they were able to go out, him and his girlfriend Lillian, and they took home 17 of these uh, tasty little mollusks. So that's cool. And Michael also was able to get his jet boat, which is pretty exciting. Uh, look at that thing. That's sweet. I'm super jealous. I'm sure we're going to see some adventures from, from MP and his, and his JB soon. But for now, here's some headlines. Tennessee just expanded one of its wildlife management areas by 850 acres. The Nature Conservancy and the Conservation Fund were able to acquire this property and they are going to convey it to the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency. This is the state wildlife agency. So it's going to expand the existing 43,000 acre North Cumberland WMA by 850 acres. And the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation was also a key partner in making this happen. And they made sure to note that it's within the Tennessee's elk zone. So in addition to providing elk habitat, it's also gonna provide a bunch of other wildlife habitat. And it's gonna serve as this nice corridor between existing public properties. Cool stuff. But update on the corner crossing case in Wyoming. This is the case where four hunters used a ladder to cross from one piece of public land to another piece of public land. Uh, crossing over the private landowner's airspace. So it's going to court. So the hunter's attorney filed a petition to the U.S. District Court for Wyoming asking that the judge moves it to a federal venue, moves the civil case particularly. Basically, if the hunters get this move to a federal court, the outcome of the case will likely set precedent over a larger area. 
This is significant because if it stays at a local court and the hunters win, the Wyoming state legislature could introduce laws that would hamstring the public's ability to actually corner cross. But if the hunters win at a federal court, it's way more likely to set precedent. It's way more likely to allow corner crossing as a legal method of access. Time will tell. We will see. Last week, we mentioned that Wyoming was moving towards more liberalized harvest of mature bucks. So we got a little more clarity on this. And the, the whole idea was kill big bucks to reduce CWD. Basic premise. But the clarity is that the, a Wyoming game and fish biologist stated that the goal within the certain areas of Wyoming, so not the entire state, but certain areas, is to decrease the buck to doe ratio down to six bucks per 100 does. And this will be a minimum of a five-year experiment. It's also stated that the increase of just 25 tags per area is probably not going to be enough. So whether it's this year or coming years, we're likely to see those numbers go up and more opportunity to kill big bucks. So initially, some hunters have been pretty upset about the push to kill more mature bucks because typically hunters view a healthy deer herd as one that has a diverse age class and a high buck to doe ratio. That combined with the fact that a lot of hunters like to kill big bucks. Also brought up was whether reaching the stated goal would even be possible at a landscape level. Giving out more permits and allowing rut hunts will certainly increase buck harvest on public lands, but what about private lands? private lands, the landowner controls access, outfitters will likely want to manage for mature bucks. You can't force them to kill all the mature bucks on their land. So the question becomes what will happen on public-private interfaces where the land ownership is mixed or on large swaths of private land. It's going to be much more difficult to accomplish the goal of having six bucks per hundred does. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out over the next few years. Interestingly, Wyoming is trying to kill more big bucks, Utah is trying to kill less. So the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources are recommending decreasing the general deer permits by 950 for the upcoming deer season. One of the big factors leading to this is likely the severe drought that Utah has been experiencing over the last few years. And I'm not necessarily trying to use the comparison of Utah versus Wyoming for CWD management, but I think it does point out the interesting fact that there's gonna be a mixed management approach in different areas. So we'll be able to collect more data and they've been collecting data for years on different management strategies, but there's gonna be areas where mature bucks are reduced to much lower levels and areas that are not. So we're only gonna collect more data, see what happens. And uh, it, in areas where there is allowed mature bucks to thrive and exist, will that eventually create a less healthy deer herd? That's the big question. That's what we're trying to prevent. So in those areas, do you see a less healthy deer herd over time? Time will tell, we will see. So for today's deeper dive, Randy is going to talk about the Land and Water Conservation Fund, a little history about it, and some exciting potential ways that they could use the fund for more public access. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This week's Deeper Dive, talking about Land and Water Conservation Fund, and then uh, I feel like you have some insight, which I did just learning about of this different ways that the money can be used it's like it seems like it can be used for a lot of a things. lot of different things but 
yeah. pretty much all good things. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I know the cool part. Land and Water Conservation Fund is the same age I am. Really? 1964. That's when it was created? Yep. And uh, nice. it's, the quick and dirty is there's all these offshore royalties yep. and a portion of it is earmarked for this program. And the notion is, okay, we're depleting one public asset, the offshore oil reserve. Let's go and use that money to increase another public asset, i.e. the land and water that we yeah. enjoy. And it's a so. huge fund. Like, yeah. I forget what, like. $900 million a year that in 2020, they finally got it permanently reauthorized. In other words, there isn't a sunset on it like there was before. Right. And it's supposed to be fully funded because prior to that, a lot of times it wouldn't get funded. So now we got $900 million a year to be used to fill in some gaps if, you know, say a state agency or a federal agency is trying to do something. Yeah. Hey, you need some extra money to close the deal? There you go. Very cool. Yeah. And it's hard to like fathom the scale at which it operates. And that's what I found this website and it's like the best example I've seen of being able to look up projects. It's an interactive map and it was yeah. put together by the Land and Water Conservation Fund and the Trust for Public Lands. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure who hosts the website, but I'll put a link in the description. Mm -hmm. But it's pretty crazy. Like you can zoom in on this map and I'd like just go to the link and zoom in wherever you live or wherever you're interested in and everywhere. Where? Like I don't think you can go 100 miles and there's not a land and water conservation oh, fund absolutely uh, you know project that money went towards and they'll tell you like a dollar amount it might have like a bigger story on it it's super cool like yeah. this interactive map is sweet and so they have like past projects mm -hmm. and then they also have a map of future projects that are waiting to yeah, yeah there's in process so yeah. i i thought that was pretty cool and it's just like the best way to actually showcase the scale yeah. Oh, watch it, in which I, it I think a lot of people don't realize it's used for fishing access sites, for parks and trails, for big in holdings like south of us where we're here in Montana. From here to Yellowstone used to all be checkerboard. Along comes LWCF and pays a timber company for a lot of the land. And we did some trades and other stuff, but opens up hundreds of thousands of acres of access to the public year after year after year after year. Yeah, and that one is crazy. Like the Gallatin, the Custer Gallatin, like the money that's gone towards it, like I should yeah, pull it up because it was now. insane how much money yeah. has gone towards yeah. towards it. I think it was like a hundred and $123 million of projects of yeah. projects have gone yeah. into just the Custer Gallatin. And so yeah. here's how it kind of works is a lot of the nonprofits will go and I'll use the Elk Foundation, for example, or it might be Trust for Public Lands or the Nature Conservancy. Any of these land trusts yeah. will go and they'll put together a deal and they'll say why this is so valuable. You know, it has these conservation values, these public access values. And then they go to either the Forest Service or the BLM or your state wildlife agency and say, hey, we nominate this as a project, run it up the flagpole. Right. And there's a scoring system at the federal level for which project gives the best bang for the buck. Yeah. And they go through that and they fund whatever it is. And so if you have really critical landscapes that are in need of, you know, I'll call it funding to, to keep them connected yeah. to provide public access, they're going to rank a lot higher. And the cool part is now we can not, it doesn't just have to be the purchase of the land. It can be to purchase a conservation easement right. or so an access easement. Because we all know 
a lot of times an easement is way cheaper. You can get way more bang for your buck in a perpetual access easement right. than you can of buying and trying to hold the entire piece of land. And, and so you were saying that they can get perpetual access. Perpetual, so it's just like forever. Yeah. And that's like, I feel like a pretty key part of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, it can be augmented with it. I'd say LWCF becomes the backfill of other funds. So I'll, I'll use an example in Montana. We've had instances where the state has uh, Habitat Montana money, maybe some Pittman Robertson money, right. but there's still a gap. LWCF comes in, fills that gap, and we increase a wildlife management area or something like that. Right. And because, so. like with LWCF or Pittman and Robertson, you have to have like matching funds often to get these projects through. So you can't yep. just like pull from that money. You have, there has to be like a matching yeah. source, but I mean, there's a lot of different workarounds. Yeah. It and like. and in that scoring, the more money that's being brought in from nonprofits and from state yeah. agencies, the higher it's going to score on the LWCF chart. Gotcha. So the better the chance it's going to get funded. But along those terms though, I mean, like I mentioned the 123 million for Custer Gallatin, they also do like city parks and stuff oh, yeah. too. like it goes like it I, you there's still small scale projects like if you zoom mm -hmm. in you know it might be four thousand dollars towards yeah. this park or this whatever so it's not just a yeah huge project there is some really cool small projects which are important too mm -hmm. and i mean to like small town communities you can see that like Swimming all these different and, yeah it's yeah. pretty it's cool and how it works there's a piece called acquisition and then there's a piece called stateside State side is allocated to every state based on per capita. Okay. So that's a smaller part of the LWCF pool, but that's what does these, you know, a city park or a hiking right. trail or a biking trail. And then there's the big part that is acquisitions, and that's the scoring chart that I was talking about. Yeah. So. And so back to the like uh, the easements or mm -hmm. the permanent easements. So you were telling me, and whether or not it's LWCF, but in Kentucky, there's yeah. a potential new pretty exciting one in the works right that you, yeah. you kind of got the inside scoop on yeah like how much can you can you share about well that? the kentucky uh fish and wildlife agency they lease their wildlife management areas mm -hmm. from the coal companies gotcha and you know in the last 10 years coal is just it's not a profitable business to be in so mm -hmm. they're sitting on hundreds of thousands of acres of land and buyers want to buy it and gotcha. if they do well, these are the places Kentucky can provide you hunting access mm -hmm. or whatever public access. So there's a project right now, uh, Kentucky, uh, Pittman-Robertson money. I know the Elk Foundation is trying to help out. 55,000 acres. Which for, I mean, that's big for Western states, yeah. but for back east, that's like, that's it's huge. Crazy yeah. big. And so what it is, instead of buying the land, they'd buy an access easement in perpetuity. Gotcha. So they can get way more bang for their buck. Because if you went and bought the land, you gotta buy the water rights, you gotta buy the mineral rights, all, all this stuff. Well, they're just buying the surface rights so that the public will always have access to go and enjoy this land. Yeah, that's super cool. And when, then, when you initially told me that, I could see your head turning and you're kind of <sighs> like thinking about, well, what uh, about all this checkerboard, you know, land and, Wyoming and Montana and Idaho, where there's mm -hmm. all this checkerboard difficult to access or impossible right. to access land. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it's owned by energy companies or yeah. um, different mining companies as well. Yeah. So like, is that's 
What's I'm, the future potential there? I mean, uh, I think the future potential for that is almost unlimited because a lot of the energy companies, they only want the mineral rights below the surface. Gotcha. So the surface rights aren't of too much value to them. Mm -hmm. So you got all these checkerboard pieces that are oil and gas companies. What if you could go and use LWCF and other money to buy those little piece, those, you know, inserted checkers that are private that are energy companies, now it opens access to all the checker locked public land. Right. I wonder if do you think that is that one of the weighted things or could it become one of the weighted things to like showing that it opens up access to additional public lands when mm -hmm. they're waiting oh, yeah. the project. It, it does. Gotcha. Like if you have an in holding that is makes things hard to manage, it ranks way higher gotcha. than if it's just a big block with great access. So yeah, it would rank a lot higher. So I don't know if anyone's considered that, but when I think about you know the arguments we got going on with checkerboarded lands right now, what if we could use LWCF to purchase access easements on that? Yeah. yeah. And we're not just getting access easement uh, access then to the easement property. You know, the each square mile is 640 acres. It's all these other 640 acres of BLM or Forest Service that's landlocked. It's a lot, millions of acres of. Yeah. potential yeah. Right there, and there's, but... there's plenty of willing buyer willing seller possibilities out there and i think that's one thing we often lose focus on mm -hmm. is there's a lot of people who'd be like you yeah, i'd consider that but the beauty of this is it has to be in perpetuity God. so yeah it's not like you go and get an easement for five years and then you got to negotiate again it's forever very cool well, and then you were telling me about there was some there's some issues and roadblocks with the Bureau of Land Management when they're trying mm -hmm. to yeah to get into this, and I know that you kind of got some yeah another uh, inside scoop there. I don't know how again well, they, how much they, you want to share, the, but the, it's the, that's an interesting aspect to to some of these funds of what these mm -hmm. public agencies are able to do and the loophole not loopholes the roadblocks that they hit when yeah. they're trying to yeah so BLM to. is now implementing access coordinators around their regions gotcha. in the country. Well, they're being told, go and look at easements. Well, one of the problems is the, the BLM is really, uh, has a long history of valuing land to buy. But how do you value an easement? The access across a piece of property. So this last fiscal year that's just been submitted of the 900 million that's been submitted by Department of Interior and Department of Agriculture, mm -hmm. mostly BLM and Forest Service, right. there's not a single access easement project in there that I could find. And I talk, I've talked to some people and they said, well, that's just because it's kind of new. We've started focusing on this yeah. with the new changes in, in the full funding and we're just not up to speed on it yet. So hopefully they get up to speed and they start realizing they could get way more acreage of access by going the easement route than going the purchase route. Yeah, it's some it's some exciting stuff. There's a lot of yeah. future potential, I feel like, and yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it all yeah, where it all leads. And but. there's there's a lot of great groups that are helping. And when we use the term LWCF, we're referring to the Land and Water Conservation Fund. It's right. nine hundred million dollars. And there's a lot of land trusts that are working their butts off. We always know about the Rocky Mountain Elk yep. Foundation, the Nature Conservancy, the Trust for Public Lands, this super quiet group that you refer to them in that yep. website that you found. 
there's a lot of groups out there that are doing this and it's bringing lands into public access. Very cool. Yeah, I love talking about opening up more access. I mean, that's like, well, yeah, it gets me really excited. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's all... so much potential out there. It's not, I mean, there's just, yeah. It, to me, when we have lost access to a lot of our private land, us hunters, we're you know, feeling crowded because even if it's the same amount of hunters, but you're on smaller accessible acreage, well, these are the tools to expand that access and give people more places to hunt and hopefully the feeling of crowding gets less and less. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I love, it. I love these conversations, but uh, yeah, thanks for helping out with explaining sure. all this. You have you articulate it way better than I can, so well, after, I appreciate uh, you. I, I wish you could just do these segments yourself, but I know your time <laughs> is so limited. But, no, uh, I, yeah. I think for me being involved in it for 30 years, Marcus, I would skip over so many things and I just make some assumptions and I'm glad that you bring it up. But LWCF has been such an empower, empowering and powerful tool in my life. Everywhere I look, where I go and hunt or fish or hike, the footprint of LWCF is on that landscape. Yeah, very cool. Well, if you have any uh, things you want to share with us, any stories we should cover, email at uh, weekly at freshtracks.tv. Thanks. <laughs>